All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to our special episode of Facts versus Rhetoric. This is part two of my adventure crossing the Pacific Ocean during a leg of the Clipper Around the World race in 2016. So in uh, the first part of this, we covered my sailing journey, learning to sail and my sailing experience, get into the Clipper training. And today we're going to start reading from the diary I kept from the moment I got on the plane to the time we docked up in Seattle after 25 and a half days crossing the Pacific. So I think the best thing to do here is I'll read my diary entries as I, I've made them and then we'll uh, I'll also try to comment, try to provide some more detail into what the heck I'm actually talking about. The day I left was March 13th, 2016. I had a very early flight out of Logan Airport to Toronto. So that made it easier leaving because my kids were asleep. My wife was barely conscious when I said goodbye. So I did most of my hard goodbye stuff the night before. So that made it a little easier to get out of the house and kind of get on task because I knew, you know, part of this journey was going to entail compartmentalizing my home life and my family and my kids and my wife and everything with the task at hand of being on a boat in the middle of the oceans. Uh, that kind of set the tone to kind of make it a little easier to get out of the house and then kind of switch modes to race mode. So I got to Boston and I got on my first business class flight of my life to Toronto which I would kind of compare to air conditioning, right? If you've, once you've been on a business class flight, it's very hard to go sit back in coach. Just like, you know, if you've ever had air conditioning, it's very hard not to ever have it for the rest of your life. So I arrived in Toronto at about 12.29 p.m. after my first business class flight. And I wrote, I'll never fly coach again. Sitting in an Air Canada executive lounge, there was free beer, booze, wine, food, Wi-Fi. And I had a couple of Molson Canadians and a few sandwiches as I prepared for my long part of the flight from Toronto to Shanghai. I want to say this one was going to be close to 13 hours of a flight time. So we got up in the air. I made a journal entry at 3.14 p.m. later that day that I was watching the movie Black Mass. I've had two vodka sodas, a hot towel on my face. I have a lay flat seat, which is essentially a bed. And I wrote two hours in and it's a pleasure cruise. So I was having a good time. It was a nice, easy flight. I had lunch around 3.30. I had salad, a duck appetizer. And I wrote first time, you know, when in Rome. The whole point of this trip was kind of getting outside your comfort zone. So I started to say yes to things kind of on the plane to kind of prepare myself to, uh, just getting the right mindset. So I watched Black Mass, then I watched James Bond Spectra, and I made a comment that the staff is amazing, and then I was missing my family every time I opened up this diary because my sister gave me two right-in-the-rain all-weather journals, and then on one of them, she, she taped a bunch of pictures of my oldest daughter in that one, and the other book, she taped a bunch of pictures of my youngest daughter. So it was hard to make these entries because every time I opened the book, I had to see pictures of my fucking kids. So, and this is day one. So it was awesome of her to do that, but it did make it kind of hard to open these books. All right. So fast forward later in that day, by 2.39 PM, I made another entry. Uh, at that point, we were somewhere over China or Russia. I couldn't tell. 
I had slept a few hours. We just had breakfast. I was watching my third movie, Donnie Brasco, and we were going to be landing soon. And I started to get nervous about PVG. That's the initials for the Shanghai airport. So I knew we were going into this fucking really busy airport in a foreign fucking country. I had to get my bags. I had to go through customs. And I had to check in for my final flight from Shanghai to Qingdao. I wrote, this is the moment I've been worried about. Out of my comfort zone is what it's all about. That was really it, you know, because worrying about it is always worse than actually going through whatever the fuck you're worried about. So I was getting a little geeked up about the airport, but that was part of the point of this whole fucking trip is to, you know, be outside your comfort zone and just get used to it. My next entry was two hours later at 4.59 p.m. I wrote, I made it through customs and got checked into the next and final flight. Business class means no lines, a VIP room prior to the flight, the only way to travel. I went on to write that there's no concept of lines here. Frustrating at first, but once you don't take it personal, it's normal. My cell phone worked, which is nice. Can't wait to see the bill. I wrote an hour to kill before my final flight. I was drinking some Tsingtao beer in a can. And I also wrote big thanks to Greg, a near seven foot man who's in the lumber business. He helped me through both airports, showed me all the perks of uh, the VIP business class, and there's a lot to know when traveling internationally. So th this guy, he saved me, right? He, I was sitting next to him on the flight into Toronto, and then I was sitting next to him leaving Toronto to China. So he was on the exact same flight schedule as I was, and he goes to China a lot for business. This really made my travel experience what it was because he showed me everything that was available to me being in business class. I had no clue that there was these lounges and places to go to. I would have just followed the herd to wait with everybody else. So this guy saved me. I didn't even know enough to ask about any of these things. So I was very naive. I don't travel a lot and certainly had never been in business class before so this guy fucking hooked me up he brought me through everywhere and he actually got me pointed in the right direction when we landed in shanghai because he was going somewhere else so he wasn't on my flight to Qingdao. so big big thanks to greg he really helped me out okay so now i'm in i finally land in Qingdao, and all i have is the address of where i need to get to a bunch of us are staying in this house near the marina I have no idea where the fuck this place is. I just have the address. So when I get off the plane in Qingdao, I get my bags, I go through customs, and then I'm just bombarded by local residents trying to get me to a cab to give me a ride, right? So the cabbies pay the people to go into the airport, to grab people out of the airport, to get business for their cabs. So I'm surrounded by probably 10 people talking to me in a language I don't understand. I do know it's for a ride, but I don't know where the fuck I'm going. So I have the address on my phone and I'm showing these guys the address. I'm like, can you get me here? And one guy said, yeah, he could. So we, I, I get up, I get in this cab and it's like an hour drive. So this wasn't even close to the airport but fortunately the guy got me kind of close right, this is around 10 p.m at night where we get kind of close to where i'm going but this guy doesn't know exactly where we're going so that's the thing <laughs> even though you have an address over there not everyone knows where every place is it's not it's not like here you know the gps gets you close but the gps's don't know everything 
and there's so many fucking people and the place is so big, they don't fucking know. So I get close to the house and luckily I had the phone number of the contact at the house. So I gave that to the driver. He called the guy, the guy came and found me. So I finally get to where I'm going. So after nearly a day of traveling, it's about 10.30 p.m. I find the place I'm supposed to be. It's this little house. It's got a couple bedrooms. And this kid named Vincent is the caretaker who's going to be taking care of us while we're there for the few days before we get on the boat. So my next entry in my journal was the next morning. So now this is March 15th at 6.36 a.m. I wrote, not to jinx it, but I feel great. I went to bed at 11 p.m., woke up refreshed after a night in my king-size bed with an unusually firm mattress. Gonna do some exploring today, hope to run into some familiar faces. Don't have to report till tomorrow, but you know me, I'll be loitering around the boat as soon as I can. My tea is ready. I ordered a chicken burrito for breakfast with french fries. It was delicious. That was cool. So when I woke up the, that morning, Vincent came out. He's like, do you want to have something to eat? And I said, sure. And he gave me a bunch of menus for restaurants you know, that were really close by. The one he pointed to is like, this, this place is good. I looked on their breakfast menu and they had a chicken burrito. And I know I'm supposed to be trying new and adventurous things, but I felt like, you know, playing it safe with a chicken burrito and french fries was a good start for day one in China. And it didn't disappoint. It was pretty fucking good. So later that day, I made an entry at 11.25 a.m. that I got to, I got my pontoon pass and said hello to Ash, the skipper, and a few other crew members. They were on their way out on the boat for a corporate sale, so it was kind of brief. Remember, I'm in China, okay? So the, the marina, everything's owned by the state, so the marina where the boats are is heavily guarded by soldiers. So we had to go in, I had to get my pontoon pass, which is this big you know, neck lanyard with my picture on it, my credentials, all in Chinese on the back so that the soldiers could check me out to get through to get onto the boat. And a lot of times when these boats are in port, they'll go out and do corporate sales and bring people out on the boats for a sale that are part of the sponsorship. So that's where they were headed when I got to say hi briefly to them. So then I hit the shopping mall. I recognized I needed a long sleeve shirt. I found a supermarket as well, and this is the list of items I bought. I bought 12 beers, four cups of noodles, a phone charger, and some bottled water. And I got in touch with Pavel, who was one of the crew members I met in training. I was going to meet up with him at 5 p.m., and then we had a crew dinner at 7.30 p.m., and I wrote, looking forward to meeting everyone. So that night, we went had a crew dinner at this restaurant, and I made an entry after we got home at 11.26 p.m., Crazy dinner. It was cook your own meat in boiling soup. Drank a bunch of Chinese beer. Ash, the skipper, asked me to be a watch leader. And I wrote, there goes a, a pleasant race following orders. So the dinner was crazy. We sat in this big round table. And we had a couple of them. So at this table, there was probably eight or ten of us. And in the middle of the table, there was two or three long rectangle metal bins of soup, right? So they're, they're, they're cooking soup in the middle of the table. So this stuff's like bubble and it's hot as shit. So you would take whatever meat you wanted, put it in the soup to cook it, and then take it out and eat it. So it was, <laughs> it was wild. I think I stuck to chicken and what I thought was beef. So who knows what it was, but it was, it was all very delicious. So it was just a really cool dinner. All the crew is there on the boat, just drinking, laughing, cooking, all trying to experience this crazy restaurant we were at. 
And this was my first introduction to these bathrooms that these restaurants and a lot of places over there had where you would go into these stalls and there would just be like a big ass remote control to control the bidet features, to control heat, to control all this crazy shit. It was, um, it was pretty wild. So I took some pictures of that. I was, I got a kick out of that. So great dinner. I think I, I think I took it easy on the beer. Although probably not because my next entry was from 10.50 a.m. the next day when I was at breakfast. We had an amazing breakfast at the Intercontinental Hotel where I met the rest of the crew. We have a meeting at noon about watch leaders. And I wrote, I'm very torn between the pressures of leading versus just doing what I'm asked to do. I have the confidence I can do the job, but it does change the experience. Most nervous about having to learn seven months of boat handling on the fly. So there's 21 people on the boat with a media crew member and another twist to my expectations. So I guess I don't think I was expecting that many people to be on the boat. And then I wrote reinforcing the point not to have expectations and just to be flexible with the changing conditions. The more I talk with the crew, the colder I think it will be. Need to have confidence in my packing. So that was a that was a good morning. The decision that I had to make regarding being a watch leader was tough, right? Because I run my own business. I'm in charge all the time. And when you have to make all the decisions, it's nice to just to be told what to do sometimes. I showed up not thinking I was going to be a watch leader. There was plenty of around the world people on this boat and that position is usually saved for around the worlder. So I was kind of caught off guard being asked to be it. I was also very flattered. I knew I could do the job, but it was just going to be a completely different experience from just following orders to having to come up with the orders, follow through with executing yours and holding everyone accountable. And again, another layer of that is I'm just showing up. These guys are you know, eight of these people on this boat are sailing around the world. They've already been together for five previous legs. You know, they're, they're pretty much at this point, they're halfway across the world on this boat. They have experience, they know each other. And now I'm going to show up out of the blue and now I'm in charge. So that was a little nerve wracking, but in the end, I decided to do it. So the next day I made a entry at 8.43 PM. So this is March 17th. I was just named port watch leader. I was amazed about all the gossip that goes along with the title and the decision. I got nicknamed the bear by the crew because I won a competition by sweating the stay sail up by myself. I thought I got it in 12.9 seconds. Someone else said 13 seconds, but whatever. The nearest competitor was 17 seconds. So I kicked some ass in that and I wrote Seth would be proud because they were calling me the bear. And I wrote, I'm going to have my work cut out for me with managing personalities. That was a cool day. We spent that, it was all foggy, so we couldn't go out, we were gonna go out and practice. So it was too foggy, so we stayed in port, stayed on the boat, and we were doing just drills and shit on the boat. And then we decided to have a competition with the other boats, because we had 12 of these boats are all on the dock right next to each other. So we started challenging another boat who could pull up the stay sail, so, um, when you look at these boats, they have two head sails. The furthest one towards the front is the Yankee. That's the bigger of the two sails. And then they have a stay sail, which is right behind it, kind of overlapping on the inside of it. And we had a contest who could lift that sail up by themselves. So you had to 
sweat it means to pull it up. So you were pulling the rope, which was lifting the sail all the way to the top of the mast. I had the best time on that for under just under 13 seconds. So that was cool. Got me a little, um, it got me some respect around the boat, which was nice. And then I did make a note that, uh, I was more worried about managing the personalities because that whole day before the announcement of who was going to be watch leader, this group of just 20 adults is just gossiping like schoolgirls. It was, it was hysterical. I underestimated how much politics and, and that kind of bullshit was already in play, but it was there. And everyone was very curious about who was going to be doing it, who they thought should do it. So that really opened my eyes to be like, oh shit, like this, you know, this is just like work. I got to worry about morale, personalities. It's going to be the, the, the politics of the boat. It's, I mean, that's just, uh, I guess that's a reality in, uh, in any group setting. So the next day on March 18th at 8, 11 in the morning, I wrote, just inventoried my kit. Looks like I'm in need of some mid-layer tops and socks that don't smell. Anxious to get my bunk set up. Going to work on the boat today with Ian. Food has been good to me so far. I am fearful of the water. It seems like anytime I have tap water, I feel like I'm going to puke. Greg told me about everything being under construction, and I asked him if it was new work or rehab, and he said, you'll see. And I have no idea what the fuck the workers are doing. It feels like they are working to work. The Clipper sailors seem to be the only ones in the malls and the restaurants. Bit like the Truman Show. We show up and the city comes alive. But if you stop and look around, it doesn't make any sense. Period. So that was my diary entry. And what I was talking about there is around the marina, there was this very high-end mall. And I believe there was a Rolls-Royce dealership in there. Very high-end stores, and there's a grocery store and all this shit. But the only people in there were the sailors that were in port for the race. So I spent an hour or two there, and that's the only people I saw. It didn't make any sense, right? Because from a business standpoint, you'd be like, how are these people still in business? Because there's no one here, and this is all high-end shit. Who's, who's showing up today? To How many Rolls Royces are they selling here? Right? It was wild. And the whole thing that Greg, the guy that helped me through the airport, was telling me, he, you know, he said everything's under construction. And I was like, oh, are they just expanding? What are they doing? He's like, you'll see. And I, and I get what he meant because people were just doing the weirdest jobs. So it looked like everyone was busy and working. But when you stopped and like looked at it, you're like, why, the, why is that guy doing that? It doesn't make any sense. Or you'd be like, well, there's a way better way to do that. But in communist China, that's just how it goes. I remember there was a, a railing that went probably about a mile along the marina. And there was probably 20 guys just fucking sanding it. And there was another 20 guys behind them painting it. It was freaking wild. But it was a lot of people just looking like they were staying busy. So I am now port watch leader. And on my team, on my watch, I have myself. I have Mike, who is an around-the-worlder. He's my assistant watch leader, so that was nice to have a very experienced guy uh, working alongside me. I had Jack, Rick. Uh, they were leggers. I had Andy, who was around-the-worlder. Richard, who was doing a leg. Pavel, doing a leg. Anna, doing a leg. And then finally, Haley and Catherine were two around-the-worlders as well. So I had four around-the-worlders and six leggers on my watch. So I felt good. So Mike can do everything. He can helm. He's done every job. I had Rick was another guy that could do anything. Andy was around the world. He was great on the bow and helping with evolutions. 
and then the other Legos in around the world is they were all we they all had jobs that they were really good at already. So the the team filled in there really nice. So my last entry before the race started was on uh, March nineteenth at nine twenty five p.m. I wrote race starts in the a.m. Honestly, had first real waves of nerve during the crew brief. We saw pictures from the last leg, and that we saw old pictures from uh, the last edition of leg six. The extreme nature of this crossing is now setting in. We have a big send-off tomorrow that I'll try to film. The safety of the crew is weighing on me. I know I can execute. It's remembering everything that's unnerving. And that was my last entry before the race started. I remember watching that crew. We had a safety brief and a, and a weather brief the day before we left. And they were showing a bunch of old pictures from leg six. That was sobering. Okay, because one of the races, they there was a boat that got halfway across and had an issue and had to stop in Hawaii to make repairs. I think they actually got demasted. They lost their mast. And you just, just the, everything kind of sets in of the fact that you're about to cross the biggest ocean on the planet. There's a million things that can go wrong. And now that I'm a watch leader, now I have way more responsibility than just you know, being responsible for myself and the person next to me. So that was kind of weighing on me before the start. A couple of final things I wanted to cover before the race started. I made some notes for the speech I had to the boat after being named watch leader. And I said, the only answers I want on the boat is yes, no, and I don't know. All right. I was trying to be succinct with everyone. I wanted to establish some candor and I wanted to really cut through the bullshit. What I don't like from my personal life, but especially on a boat, is when you ask someone a question and they give you a fucking story. I don't want the story. I want a yes, no, or I don't know. I was able to kind of simplify it in those terms. So that was the first thing I said to everyone. I said, hey, honesty and safety affects everyone. And that was the message I was trying to get across. If you're not sure if you check this or how you left that, just say, I don't know. And we can check it, double check it and move on. I don't want to assume anything. I wrote here, assume nothing, whether you're around the world or a legger, I'm going to confirm details that may be obvious to you. I wanted to give everyone a heads up. I don't want people to be insulted or offended that I asked them a question so I felt it was good to get that out there in the beginning so people weren't getting their back up because I somehow insulted their intelligence or sailing capabilities by asking you know a question a big part of the communication in the boat is feedback critical feedback is always welcomed as long as it's accompanied with a suggestion on how to be better right I don't need people bitching at me about the job I'm doing but if you have a legitimate criticism followed up by a solution I'm all ears because I, I view that as, as productive. And finally, I told them, hey, my goal here is to put Port Watch and this boat in the best, best position to succeed as safe and as fast and as comfortable as possible. And finally, I want to go through the kit that I brought. I brought two bags. I brought two duffel bags for this whole entire trip. So my first Gill duffel bag weighed 31 pounds. And in that, I had my Heli Hansen dry suit my race smock and my race salopettes. So that's my foul weather jacket and pants. I had another mid layer of pants that were fleece lined. I had two pairs of boots. I had my sleeping bag, a pillow, two winter hats, four pairs of gloves, a little travel towel and a soft shell jacket. So that was in my big duffel bag that weighed 31 pounds. 
And then on my smaller duffel bag, this weighed 20 pounds. I had two base layers. So just, you know, your long sleeve t-shirt and long underwear pants. I had two sets of those. I had a one piece Merino Will onesie, which I wore the entire trip. It was awesome. Four pairs of socks, four pairs of underwear, two changes of clothes, like street clothes. I had a set of ski goggles, my Adidas boat shoes, a bathing suit, deodorant, some body spray, baby powder, and baby wipes. So that's all I brought. I was planning on 25 to 30 days of being on the ocean. I figured one set of clothes per week, a pair of underwear and socks for the week. And all this stuff was the merino wool. So it's antibacterial. It doesn't smell. So you can wear it multiple days without uh, the consequences of normal clothes. So that is what I brought. That's all I had, 50 pounds in two bags to get me through the next 25 or so days on the ocean. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us. I hope this is interesting and uh, you enjoy it. Next part, we'll go into the race start and then go chronicle my 25 and a half days on the open Pacific Ocean. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. I'd like to thank everyone that supported me in this sailing adventure that I was lucky enough to take a few years ago. So thank you for listening, and we'll talk soon about the race start in part three.